Section twenty nine of the Green Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Green Fairy Book Prince Vivian and Princess Placida. Part two. Recording by Aubrey Kirkham Then the prince, without even waiting to sheathe his sword, rushed back to the gazelle, crying, Now you have had plenty of time to recover your wits, and you have nothing more to fear, so tell me who you are, and what this horrible giant, with his lion and his serpent, hath to do with you, and for pity's sake be quick about it. I will tell you with pleasure, she answered, but where is the hurry? I want you to come back with me to the green castle, but I don't want to walk there. It is so far, and walking is so fatiguing. Let us set out at once, then, replied the prince severely, or else really I shall have to leave you where you are. Surely a young and active gazelle like you ought to be ashamed of not being able to walk a few steps. The further off this castle is, the faster we ought to walk, but as you don't appear to enjoy that, I will promise that we will go gently, and we can talk by the way. It would be better still if you would carry me, she said sweetly, but as I don't like to see people giving themselves trouble, you may carry me, and make that snail carry you. So saying, she pointed languidly with one tiny foot at what the prince had taken for a block of stone, but now he saw that it was a huge snail. What? I ride a snail, cried the prince. You were laughing at me. And beside, we should not get there for a year. Oh, well, then don't do it, replied the gazelle. I am quite willing to stay here. The grass is green and the water clear. But if I were you, I should take the advice that was given me and ride the snail. So though it did not please him at all, the prince took the gazelle in his arms and mounted upon the back of the snail, which glided along very peaceably entirely declining to be hurried by frequent blows from the prince's heels. In vain did the gazelle represent to him that she was enjoying herself very much, and that this was the easiest mode of conveyance she had ever discovered. Prince Vivian was wild with impatience, and thought that the green castle would never be reached. However, at last, they did get there, and everyone who was in it ran to see the prince dismount from his singular steed. But what was his surprise, when having at her request set the gazelle gently down upon the steps which led up to the castle, he saw her suddenly change into a charming princess, and recognized in her his pretty cousin Placida, who greeted him with her usual tranquil sweetness. His delight knew no bounds, and he followed her eagerly up into the castle, impatient to know what strange events had brought her there. But after all, he had to wait for the princess's story, for the inhabitants of the green lands, hearing that the giant was dead, ran to offer the kingdom to his vanquisher, and Prince Vivian had to listen to various complimentary harangues, which took a great deal of time, though he cut them as short as politeness allowed, if not shorter. But at last he was free to rejoin Placida, who at once began the story of her adventures. After you had gone away, said she, 
they tried to make me learn how to govern the kingdom, which wearied me to death, so that I begged and prayed Lalat to take me away with her, and this she presently did, but very reluctantly. However, having been transported to her grotto upon my favourite couch, I spent several delicious days, soothed by the soft green light, which was like a beech wood in the spring, and by the murmuring of bees and the tinkle of falling water. But alas, Lalat was forced to go away to a general assembly of the fairies, and she came back in great dismay, telling me that her indulgence to me had cost her dear, for she had been severely reprimanded, and ordered to hand me over to the fairy Merlifitch, who was already taking charge of you, and who had been much commended for her management of you. Fine management indeed, interrupted the prince, if it is to her I owe all the adventures I have met with. But go on with your story, my cousin. I can tell you all about my doings afterwards, and then you can judge for yourself. At first I was grieved to hear Lalotte cry, resumed the princess, but I soon found that grieving was very troublesome, so I thought it better to be calm, and very soon afterwards I saw the fairy Merlifitch arrive, mounted upon her great unicorn. She stopped before the grotto and bade Lalotte bring me out to her, at which she cried worse than ever, and kissed me a dozen times, but she dared not refuse. I was lifted up on to the unicorn, behind Merlifitch, who said to me, Hold on tight, little girl, if you don't want to break your neck. And indeed, I had to hold on with all my might, for her horrible steed trotted so violently that it positively took my breath away. However, at last we stopped at a large farm, and the farmer and his wife ran out as soon as they saw the fairy and helped us to dismount. I knew that they were really a king and queen, whom the fairies were punishing for their ignorance and idleness. You may imagine that I was by this time half dead with fatigue, but Merlifitch insisted upon my feeding her unicorn before I did anything else. To accomplish this I had to climb up a long ladder into the hayloft and bring down, one after the other, twenty-four handfuls of hay. Never, never before did I have such a wearisome task. It makes me shudder to think of it now. And that was not all. In the same way I had to carry the twenty-four handfuls of hay to the stable, and then it was supper-time, and I had to wait upon all the others. After that I really thought I should be allowed to go peaceably to my little bed, but oh, dear no! First of all I had to make it, for it was all in confusion and then I had to make one for the fairy, and tuck her in, and draw the curtains round her, beside rendering her a dozen little services which I was not at all accustomed to. Finally, when I was perfectly exhausted by all this toil, I was free to go to bed myself, but as I had never before undressed myself, and really did not know how to begin, I lay down as I was. Unfortunately, the fairy found this out, and just as I was falling into a sweet slumber, she made me get up once more, but even then I managed to escape her vigilance, and only took off my upper robe. Indeed, I may tell you in confidence that I always find disobedience answer very well. One is often scolded, it is true, but then one has been saved some trouble. At the earliest day of dawn Merlifitch woke me, and made me take many journeys to the stable to bring her word how her unicorn had slept, and how much hay he had eaten, and then to find out what time it was, and if it was a fine day. I was so slow, and did my errands so badly, that before she left she called the king and queen, and said to them, 
I am much more pleased with you this year. Continue to make the best of your farm, if you wish to get back to your kingdom, and also take care of this little princess for me, and teach her to be useful, that when I come I may find her cured of her faults. If she is not... Here she broke off with a significant look, and mounting my enemy the unicorn, speedily disappeared. Then the king and queen, turning to me, asked me what I could do. Nothing at all, I assure you, I replied in a tone which really ought to have convinced them, but they went on to describe various employments, and tried to discover which of them would be most to my taste. However, at last I persuaded them that to do nothing whatever would be the only thing that would suit me, and that if they really wanted to be kind to me, they would let me go to bed and to sleep, and not tease me about doing anything. To my great joy, they not only permitted this, but actually, when they made their own meals, the queen brought my portion up to me. But early the next morning she appeared at my bedside, saying with an apologetic air, My pretty child, I am afraid you must really make up your mind to get up today. I know quite well how delightful it is to be thoroughly idle, for when my husband and I were king and queen we did nothing at all from morning to night, and I sincerely hope that it will not be long before those happy days will come again for us. But at present we have not reached them, nor have you, and you know from what the fairy said that perhaps worse things may happen to us if she is not obeyed. Make haste, I beg of you, and come down to breakfast, for I have put by some delicious cream for you. It was really very tiresome, but as there was no help for it I went down. But the instant breakfast was over they began again with their cuckoo cry of what will you do. In vain did I answer, nothing at all, if it please you, madam. The queen at last gave me a spindle and about four pounds of hemp upon a distaff, and sent me out to keep the sheep, assuring me that there could not be a pleasanter occupation, and that I could take my ease as much as I pleased. I was forced to set out, very unwillingly, as you may imagine, but I had not walked far before I came to a shady bank in what seemed to me a charming place. I stretched myself cosily upon the soft grass, and with the bundle of hemp for a pillow, slept as tranquilly as if there were no such things as sheep in the world, while they, for their part, wandered hither and thither at their own sweet will, as if there were no such thing as a shepherdess, invading every field and browsing upon every kind of forbidden deity, until the peasants, alarmed by the havoc they were making, raised a clamour, which at last reached the ears of the king and queen, who ran out, and seeing the cause of the commotion, hastily collected their flock. And indeed, the sooner the better, since they had to pay for all the damage they had done. As for me, I lay still and watched them run, for I was very comfortable, and there I might be still if they had not come up, all panting and breathless, and compelled me to get up and follow them. They also reproached me bitterly, but I need hardly tell you that they did not again trust me with the flock. But whatever they found for me to do it was always the same thing. I spoilt and mismanaged it all and was so successful in provoking even the most patient people, that one day I ran away from the farm, for I was really afraid the queen would be obliged to beat me. When I came to the little river in which the king used to fish, I found the boat tied to a tree, and stepping in I unfastened it, and floated gently down with the current. The gliding of the boat was so soothing, that I did not trouble myself in the least when the queen caught sight of me and ran along the bank, crying, "'My boat! My boat! Husband!' Come and catch the little princess who was running away with my boat. The current soon carried me out of hearing of her cries, 
and I dreamed to the song of the ripples and the whisper of the trees, until the boat suddenly stopped, and I found it was stuck fast beside a fresh green meadow, and that the sun was rising. In the distance I saw some little houses which seemed to be built in a most singular fashion, but as I was by this time very hungry, I set out towards them, but before I had walked many steps, I saw that the air was full of shining objects which seemed to be fixed, and yet I could not see what they hung from. I went nearer, and saw a silken cord hanging down to the ground, and pulled it just because it was so close to my hand. Instantly the whole meadow resounded to the melodious chiming of a peal of silver bells, and they sounded so pretty that I sat down to listen, and to watch them as they swung shining into the sunbeams. Before they ceased to sound came a great flight of birds, and each one perching upon a bell added its charming song to the concert. As they ended, I looked up and saw a tall and stately dame advancing towards me, surrounded and followed by a vast flock of every kind of bird. "'Who are you, little girl?' said she. "'Who dares to come where I allow no mortal to live, lest my birds should be disturbed? Still, if you were clever at anything,' she added, "'I might be able to put up with your presence.' "'Madam,' I answered, rising, you may be very sure that I shall not do anything to alarm your birds. I only beg you, for pity's sake, to give me something to eat. I will do that, she replied, before I send you where you deserve to go. And thereupon she dispatched six jays, who were her pages, to fetch me all sorts of biscuits, while some of the other birds brought ripe fruits. In fact, I had a delicious breakfast, though I do not like to be waited upon so quickly. It is so disagreeable to be hurried. I began to think I should like very well to stay in this pleasant country, and I said so to the stately lady, but she answered with the greatest disdain. Do you think I would keep you here? You! Why, what do you suppose would be the good of you in this country, where everyone is wide awake and busy? No, no, I have shown you all the hospitality you will get from me. With these words she turned and gave a vigorous pull to the silken rope which I mentioned before, but instead of a melodious chime there arose a hideous clanging which quite terrified me, and in an instant a huge black bird appeared, which alighted at the fairy's feet, saying in a frightful voice, "'What do you want of me, dear sister?' "'I wish you to take this little princess to my cousin, the giant of the green castle at once,' she replied and beg him from me to make her work day and night upon his beautiful tapestry. At these words the great bird snatched me up, regardless of my cries, and flew off at a terrific pace. Oh, you were joking, cousin, interrupted Prince Vivian. You mean as slowly as possible. I know that horrible black bird, and the lengthiness of all his proceedings and surroundings. Have it your own way, replied Placida tranquilly. I cannot bear arguing. Perhaps this was not even the same bird. At any rate, he carried me off at a prodigious speed, and set me gently down in this very castle of which you were now the master. We entered by one of the windows, and when the bird had handed me over to the giant, from whom you have been good enough to deliver me, and given the fairy's message, it departed. Then the giant turned to me, saying, So you are an idler. Ah, well, we must teach you how to work. You won't be the first we have cured of laziness. See how busy all my guests are. I looked up as he spoke, and saw that an immense gallery ran all round the hall, 
in which were tapestry frames spindles skeins of wool patterns and all necessary things before each frame about a dozen people were sitting hard at work at which terrible sight i fainted away and as soon as i recovered they began to ask me what i could do it was in vain that i replied as before and with the strongest desire to be taken at my word nothing at all the giant only said then you must learn to do something in this world there is enough work for everybody it appeared that they were working into the tapestry all the stories that the fairies like best and they began to try and teach me to help them but from the first class where they tried to me to begin with i sank lower and lower and not even the most simple stitches could i learn in vain they punished me by all the usual methods in vain the giant showed me his menagerie which was entirely composed of children who would not work nothing did me any good and at last i was reduced to drawing water for the dyeing of the wools and even over that i was so slow that this morning the giant flew into a rage and changed me into a gazelle he was just putting me into the menagerie when i happened to catch sight of a dog and was seized with such terror that i flew away at my utmost speed and escaped through the outer court of the castle the giant fearing that i should be lost altogether sent his green lion after me with orders to bring me back cost what it might and i should certainly have let myself be caught or eaten up or anything rather than run any further if i had not luckily met you by the fountain and oh concluded the princess how delightful it is once more to be able to sit still in peace i was so tired of trying to learn things prince vivian said that for his part he had been kept a great deal too still and had not found it at all amusing and then he recounted all his adventures with breathless rapidity how he had taken shelter with dame patience and consulted the oracle and voyaged in the paper ship then they went hand in hand to release all the prisoners in the castle and all the princes and princesses who were in cages in the menagerie for the instant the green giant was dead they had resumed their natural forms as you may imagine they were all very grateful and princess placida entreated them never never to do another stitch of work so long as they lived and they promptly made a great bonfire in the courtyard and solemnly burnt all the embroidery frames and spinning wheels then the princess gave them splendid presents or rather sat by while prince vivian gave them and there were great rejoicings in the green castle and every one did his best to please the prince and princess but with all their good intentions they often made mistakes for vivian and placida were never of one mind about their plans so it was very confusing and they frequently found themselves obeying the prince's orders very very slowly and rushing off with lightning speed to do something that the princess did not wish to have done at all until by and by the two cousins took to consulting with and consoling one another in all these little vexations and at last came to be so fond of each other that for placida's sake vivian became quite patient and for vivian's sake placida made the most unheard-of exertions but now the fairies who had been watching all these proceedings with interest thought it was time to interfere and ascertain by further trials if this improvement was likely to continue and if they really loved one another so they caused placida to seem to have a violent fever and vivian to languish and grow dull and made each of them very uneasy about the other 
and then finding him of it when they were apart the fairy Merlifitch suddenly appeared to placida and said i have just seen prince vivian and he seemed to me to be very ill alas yes madam she answered and if you will but cure him you may take me back to the farm or bring the green giant to life again and you shall see how obedient i will be if you really wish him to recover said the fairy you have only to catch the trotting mouse and the chaffinch on the wing and bring them to me only remember that time presses she had hardly finished speaking before the princess was rushing headlong out of the castle gate and the fairy after watching her till she was lost to sight gave a little chuckle and went in search of the prince who begged her earnestly to send him back to the black castle or to the paper boat if she would but save placida's life the fairy shook her head and looked very grave she quite agreed with him the princess was in a bad way but said she if you can find the rosy mole and give him to her she will recover so now it was the prince's turn to set off in a vast hurry only as soon as he left the castle he happened to go in exactly the opposite direction to the one placida had taken now you can imagine these two devoted lovers hunting night and day the princess in the woods always running always listening pursuing hotly after two creatures which seemed to her very hard to catch which she yet never ceased from pursuing the prince on the other hand wandering continually across the meadows his eyes fixed upon the ground attentive to every movement among the moles he was forced to walk slowly slowly upon tiptoe hardly venturing to breathe often he stood for hours motionless as a statue and if the desire to succeed could have helped him he would soon have possessed the rosy mole but alas all that he caught were black and ordinary though strange to say he never grew impatient but always seemed ready to begin the tedious hunt again but this changing of character is one of the most ordinary miracles which love works neither the prince nor the princess gave a thought to anything but their quest it never even occurred to them to wonder what country they had reached so you may guess how astonished they were one day when having at last been successful after their long and weary chase they cried aloud at the same instant at last i have saved my beloved and then recognizing each other's voice looked up and rushed to meet one another with the wildest joy surprise kept them silent while for one delicious moment they gazed into each other's eyes and just then who should come up but king gridelin for it was into his kingdom they had accidentally strayed he recognized them in his turn and greeted them joyfully but when they turned afterwards to look for the rosy mole the chaffinch and the trotting mouse they had vanished and in their places stood a lovely lady whom they did not know the blackbird and the green giant king gridelin had no sooner set eyes upon the lady than with a cry of joy he clasped her in his arms for it was no other than his long-lost wife santorino about whose imprisonment in fairyland you may perhaps read some day then the black bird and the green giant resumed their natural form for they were enchanters and up flew lalotte and merlifitch in their chariots and then there was a great kissing and congratulating for everybody had regained someone he loved including the enchanters who loved their natural forms dearly after this they repaired to the palace and the wedding of prince vivian and princess placida was held at once with all the splendour imaginable king gridelin and queen santorina after all their experiences had no further desire to reign 
so they retired happily to a peaceful place leaving their kingdom to the prince and princess who were beloved by all their subjects and found their greatest happiness all their lives long in making other people happy nonchalant et pepillon end of prince vivian and princess placida part two